Hi, I'm Justine, and I'm here to tell you being mentally ill isn't the end of the world. I know what it's like to live with a mental illness. It's hard. You're constantly trying to hide your struggles from others, and you feel like you're weaker than others because of your illness. But that's not true. So many badasses struggle with mental illnesses, but they don't talk about them because they're afraid of being judged or thought of as weak-minded. Well, guess what? They're not. We can change that by talking openly about our struggles and sharing our stories with each other in a positive light. This is why I created Mentally a Badass, so we can come together as badasses who are also mentally ill or who has had it rough in life and share our stories with one another in a safe place that celebrates our strengths rather than shames our weaknesses. I hope this podcast helps you feel less alone in this crazy life of ours, and I hope it makes your life just a little bit better. In today's episode, we have an extraordinary guest joining us. He's known as the popular young publicist and talent rep in New York City and has been featured in articles such as Insider's Top 22 PR Pros for Influencers. But today, Matthew Cancel, the owner of Cancel Communications, is here to open up about his own personal journey. We'll explore his courageous decision to come out as gay, his battles with eating disorders, and his experience with sex addiction while navigating a demanding and high-stress industry. Everybody, welcome back to Mentally a Badass. My name is Justine, and today I'm bringing on my good friend Matthew Cancel that I have known since we were in grade school up to like fifth grade. So I'm very happy to have him on to my podcast today. He is a badass entrepreneur in the PR world, and then also we are going to talk a lot about like LGBTQ in honor of Pride Month. And so yeah, so thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. Yes, it only took like two months. I know. <laughs> Maybe more. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. We're just like very busy, but I'm so glad to finally have you on here and thank you for taking the time. So let's go ahead and dive into talking about your childhood and your past. We always dive deep into that here on Mentally a Badass. So, mm. you know, you're openly gay. And so let's talk about when you knew that you were gay when I knew I was gay um well it's so funny because like you we've known each other for so long so you're gonna know who all of these people are um <laughs> literally I think a part of me like always kind of knew when we were growing up but like you know how it was like in Catholic school like it wasn't even like we were getting yelled at for like small little personal things like we were just getting yelled at all the fucking time like they were like constantly <laughs> on us they were always screaming at us like we went through a really mentally abusive catholic school that was like super unhealthy so <laughs> it never felt like a safe space it never felt like a you know a space for me to be like open or like talk about you know things that were going on personally with me yeah. and i think that's like what made us all very close when we got a little bit older because we all realized like hey this was really fucked up <laughs> and that was, that was like really wrong and that was really mentally abusive um but i would say like it clicked for me in seventh grade when I had my first crush on like a guy and it was Dylan King. And I remember one day just like looking at Dylan King and being like, holy shit, like I feel very different about him today. And I don't know why that is. Cause seventh grade is like when you're going through puberty. So like yeah. you actually start developing like, wait, what is this? What is that? What is yeah. sexual attraction? And it was around then where I was like, oh shit, I really have a really big crush on Dylan King. And I kind of <laughs> let that marinate for like two years. And then by the time I got to eighth grade, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm definitely gay. But again, we were in Catholic school. And I don't know if you remember, but Marvin was a grade above us. 
I remember like teachers being really mad that he was gay. I remember like parents constantly. Wait, they're talking about, about different Marvin then, because Marvin I know is not gay. No, 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 no. So I'm talking Even about Marvin. Okay, he's not actively in my life anymore. Never mind. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. no. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, this is not someone I think you would know. There was a kid yeah, that was, I do. Was I know who you're talking about though. Yeah, and yeah. I, I remember all like the chatter and like you know parents being mad and teachers being mad and whatever. And I remember being like, I can't come out while I'm in grade school, I'm A, 13 years old, and then B, like, I have an example of, like, what's going to happen to me, and that doesn't look, again, like a safe space. So mm -hmm. I guess I did, to answer your first question, I knew in, like, seventh grade. That's when I kind of confirmed it, and I let mm -hmm. it kind of marinate for seventh and eighth grade. Did you have any girlfriends, like, in, didn't you, like, date someone in grade school? Didn't you, like, kiss a girl? No, it was, it was your friend that we had like a crush on each other and we went to the movies once and then we never spoke again. Do you remember this? It was your friend. I know exactly who you I'm not going to mention names because yeah. was, this person still follows my Instagram, but I know yeah. exactly who you're talking about. Oh my God. Wow. I feel like this podcast is like very freaking mind blowing for me right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah, goodness. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. I she had like a crush on me or something. And I was like, I guess I have a crush on you. Cause I didn't like, at the time, I was like, all right, if a girl has a crush on me, I guess we have to go on a date. And then that's what we did. We literally, like, went to the movies. How I mean, this was before high school. So I, and I remember she was a year younger than us. So I had to be in, like, seventh grade. Oh, yeah. she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in, like, seventh grade, and she was in, like, sixth grade or eighth grade, seventh grade. One of those. And I just remember we went to the movies. That's all I remember. We didn't kiss. We didn't hold hands. Nothing. We went on one date. And then we never spoke again. <laughs> did you know she was my roommate for, like, a hot minute? Wait, really? <laughs> Let's say you didn't go to like public high school and you went to Catholic high school. Do you think that you would have stayed in the closet till senior year? No. Um, when I got to like Rachel Park High School, like when I got to our high school, I started dating a kid that was a senior at Paramus Catholic. I remember. And, yeah. And I remember like he was very like open and proud yeah. and you know what I And I remember he was a big example for me because I was like, A, I would have probably went to that school. If I would have going to go to Catholic school, I was going to go to Pram's Catholic. Uh, um, I wanted to go there. I wanted to go there so bad. I think the my sister went there. Yeah. And like my cousins, but like then my, then it was like, oh no, you can't go Justine because recession. No, that's exactly what happened with me. My parents were like, we're not spending money on this. And also <laughs> Park High School is right here. And I was like, no, I want to go to Pram Because I wasn't religious as yeah. a child. I think I bought into like the elitism as a yes, child. Yes, I think that's what it was. Yeah, I bought into like the way that our teachers used to scare us about public school. And they were like, you can't go to public yes. school. They're horrible there. Like you have to keep going with Catholic school, like yada, yada, yada. And they would make us like very scared of public school. So I was like, well, either I'm going to go to Paramus Catholic or I'm going to like get bullied or something. Like I was very scared of public school. Yeah. Um, but Me no, too. I think if I'm... I think if I would have went to Paramus Catholic, like I would have been even closer to the boyfriend that I was dating because yeah. we, we met when we were in separate schools. Yeah. Um, so if we would have went to the same school, it would have been so much easier. And I probably would have been like, oh, he's a senior. He's gay. He's out. I'm a freshman. I'm going to come out. Um, and it wasn't even like a coming out. Like I remember when it happened. I remember like the day it all kind of went down. I started seeing that guy from Paramus Catholic and we hung out a couple of times at the time, I guess I had told a couple of people, I was 14, maybe I told you, maybe I told a couple of people like behind the scenes. And then one day I literally just went on Facebook and I put in a relationship with, and I just put his name. Oh, really? And that was my announcement. And then like, I changed my profile. So drama, the way that like, socially <laughs> back then, 
I, he used to be on the football team. He wasn't even actively on the football team when we were dating, but uh-huh. I took his football jersey and I posted it as my profile picture on Facebook. So I put like in a relationship with, posted his football jersey. Cause when all the girls were doing that, like they would wear the boys football jersey. Yeah, so I, I did, did that. Play. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's just kind of how I told people. And I remember like the next week, I think I did it over the weekend. Then when I came to like school, a couple of people I talked about, be like, do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, yep. And that was it. That was like the end oh, of the conversation. And they were like, okay, we have our answer. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the profile picture on Facebook was you, was it you in the jersey? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I For a second, I thought you were saying he just posted a picture of his jersey. I'm like- <laughs> No, 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 I was wearing his jersey. I was I wearing his jersey because I was like- I thought that was yeah. so cute. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember, um, cause I do remember you dating him and I was, and yeah, he was pretty good looking too. I was like, dang, Matthew, you getting yeah. with a senior and all of that. You know, sometimes I mess around with Regan because we're like three and a half years apart. So like yeah. when I was a freshman, he was a senior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I know you guys did it for like what, like three like a three months or something like that? Or? Something like that. We dated up until my knee surgery. So do you remember when I had knee surgery? So <laughs> when I had knee surgery, about I guess, knee surgery. Mm-hmm, and I was bedridden for a month and a half. Yes. After that, he kind of was like, All right, I'm done with this. Like, I gotta go to college. This kid's 14. I was like 14 turning 15. He was about to turn 18. So he was like, I'm about to turn 18. This is about to get weird and illegal. And uh, I true. going yeah, to college. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to go to college and you can't walk. I'm going to just kind of exit this way, which like at the time I was upset. But then looking back, I'm like, no, yeah, yeah, you were, you were very old. upset. I remember us and like other people that were really close to you were like around your bedside. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you were crying. crying. Was crying, yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember it like very well, like the image yes. in my head. Like I remember exactly where the bed was. Like it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like that room, like next to your living room. Living room, right yeah. By, like, yeah, that yeah. window, and I remember mm-hmm. we were like all visiting you. I don't know, they were bring flowers and stuff like that. Like it um, was like, super, like, like, dram- it's dramatic, like a bad way to say, but I remember because no, it was yeah. at the time you were very hurt. But I just yeah. think about it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you were literally bedridden and a broken bedridden. heart. You had like knee surgery and a broken heart. And I was like, oh my God, like it's horrible. Yeah. And that was kind of also, it's so fucked up, like how much was going on during that time too. That was also like the first time my parents were like coming to terms with the fact that I was gay. Cause I think I had told them a little bit before that, or I had like mentioned it and it like didn't go great. It didn't go bad. It was kind of just there. And uh-huh. then during that time was when they actually saw me like with a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I think that like made it real in their head. So that was a very, there was a lot of friction during that time because they would be yeah. like, okay, whatever, it's cool. But then they would also be like, holy fuck, this is real. Matthew has a boyfriend. And there's like a man in the house that's dating Matthew. What the fuck? And so them dealing with that, me dealing with their behavior towards that was like very very tricky and I couldn't go anywhere like every time I got pissed off or I was upset I couldn't like pick up you know just take go for a walk or like go to my friend's house I was like I'm stuck in this fucking bed dealing (laughs) with all this like cannot walk you know when I remember that whole situation I remember yeah you being like in bed we're all around you're like at your bedside but my was my memory how long ago it was I forgot about the knee surgery part yeah and I'm like you know what that kind of actually makes sense why you were bedridden yeah. you know yeah. from my memory oh my goodness um so as you were mentioning how your experience with your your parents and stuff so when you told them that you were gay like what was like their first reaction like do you remember um, or is like <clears throat> so from the facebook post my aunt had followed me on facebook 
Mm-hmm. My aunt had followed me on Facebook and my mom didn't have a Facebook. So my aunt was kind of like the first adult to know. And I remember she came into my room and she was very like loving and supporting. She came into my room and she was like, Matthew, we need to talk about something. And I was like, what? She was like, you just posted something on Facebook, but you have not told any of your family. And I'm like, well, why do I have to tell anybody? That was my whole attitude. My whole attitude was like, why does it have to be something that I have to tell anybody? Like mm-hmm. everybody should kind of just know. And yeah. she was like, I understand that, but you haven't told your your parents. And now this is public information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different family members are going to see this on Facebook. Your friends are going to see this on Facebook, et cetera. Your parents, you know, at least deserve the conversation. And I kind of was like, okay, whatever, you're right. And, you know, her and I had like a little heart to heart and that wrapped. And then my mom thought it was weird that my aunt was in my room, like talking to me about something because me and my aunt had never had like private conversations. My aunt was like, oh. was like what are you guys talking about? Like, what, what secret are you keeping from me? It like happened immediately. And then I was yeah. like, it's a big secret, but it's this, this, that, and the third. And I remember I cried a little bit and I got a little upset. And then like my mom in the moment, it was fine. But the aftermath of like the years after that, it was not fine. Really? Um, yeah, I, I would say like my mom had the heart, like, her whole thing was, okay, you're gay, that's fine, but don't express yourself. Like when I would paint my nails, it was a thing. If I would dye my hair, it was a thing. If I would wear certain types of clothes, it was a thing. Like my mother was very uh, upset with like expressing myself in like a queer way. Like she was yeah. like, yeah, boy, but like act like a boy and play sports. Like like be gay. But act I, like I vaguely boy. remember that. You, you, you mentioned it to us. Yeah, yeah. And so huh. that caused a lot of friction between me and my mom. And then me and my dad, like, I remember shortly after I told my mom, my dad, my mom was like, well, you need to tell your dad too. And I was like, fine. And I sat down and had a conversation with him and it went fine. But it was the same thing too. It was just like, they they didn't wrap their heads around the fact that like, oh, Matt's gay. He's not going to be the boy that we envisioned for himself. Like, I think in the at the moment they were like, okay, well, he's still gonna play sports. He's still gonna get married one day. He's still gonna have the white picket fence. He'll still be an accountant. Like he'll still go be an accountant. The- they like very much had like a very boring, structured life of what they thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, get that. I, mean? just, like, I didn't know the, they thought that you're gonna be an accountant. Oh, they wanted like- me to be something like that. They wanted me to be like an accountant or a lawyer or something. Like they just oh. my, my biggest problem with my parents, and it's even to this day, like we kind of fight about it, but like they never really took interest in like getting to know me, know me. Like yeah. I think they always were, we kept it very much like surface level for a very long time. And anytime we dove like a little bit deeper, it was an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, it was a thing now that I'm like an adult, I've like reconciled with it and I'm like, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say like, I would say teenage years were definitely very tough. It was very tough like in school, but it was also very tough like at home. Did anyone in school bully you? Not in high school. Not in yeah. high school. But in grammar school, yes. Like, yeah. I think we all got bullied to a certain extent in grammar school. I think the guys were really, really mean. I think the guys were really nasty to, like, they were nasty to all of us. Like, they would call you names. They would call me names. They would call, you know. <laughs> My audience is very aware of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and they were they were really the guys were really really hard on us, and they were really mean to us. Yeah. They were like, shitheads, and they got away with a lot. They got away with a lot, and I won't name names, but you already yeah. know the girl that I'm talking about. Like she was the one that kind of had the alliance with the guys. It was 
I think I do. We'll talk you know, later. It was about a popular that. girl that ended up being, you know, she, the one who ended up going to Bergen Tech, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was very like best. She, she was like the leader. Oh, right. You always be with right. the guy. You would always remember the how guy. they separated us during like, oh, yeah. recess? Mm -hmm. That was horrible. That, that was, was stupid. Yeah. So she, because her and I were best friends for many, many years. Are you guys still friends? No, I haven't spoken to her since I was like 21. No. Crazy. Yeah. I haven't spoken to her in about seven years. I had no idea. Well, mm -hmm. again, I mean, I had a feeling that you guys weren't friends anymore because I don't see her in any of your like stories and things like that. Wait, so yeah. is it just like me and Rona that you still talk to? And Will, but he's from high school. Oh, yeah. I'm talking more about like grammar school. Grammar school. Yeah. Because the other one, too, we, we haven't spoken in almost a next month one. a year. Oh, that one. Okay. Mm -hmm. which is that one's crazy um but I would say like grammar school was like you remember it like it was very name calling like the guys were like very like I was called a faggot I remember every single day yes like, I remember like, that every like fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade all the time like they called but they again they were relentless towards everyone like those guys and it was only like six of the guys and then they would bully the rest of the guys and then they would bully all the girls and they were and they had n like nasty names for every single person sounds like society right now no literally that's very true <laughs> um, but just this men going after everybody else um and then when I got to high school it wasn't bullying it wasn't like verbal bullying like it wasn't mm -hmm. school it was more like exclusion it was more just like I wasn't invited to the parties I wasn't invited to go really? I thought you were know. like the Regina George of like of high school, Justine? Okay, of, of our group, of our group. Of our group, but our group is very small. Our group is me, you, you know. <laughs> no, okay, no, there's more in our group, you know that. No, 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 me, no, it was me, you, like, I mean, we can, it was. Okay. You know, it, was, mean, it was like five of us. It was like five or six of us. It wasn't a lot of us. Yeah, I feel like it was, I feel like it was a part of like every, like a lot of groups in high school. Yeah, it, it it moved around a lot in high school. I will yeah. say that. Like, we were closer freshman year, I feel like. Yeah. When yeah. you like saved my life a couple of times. What do you mean? <laughs> in what way? Like emotionally? There's so many, there's so many times you saved my life. Well, no, saved my life as in like, well, we'll go to concerts and I would almost die in a mosh pit. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I remember. I remember and then that. like another night where you got me out of a weird situation, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another crazy time. <laughs> then you he oh. knocked me out, but I deserved it. Oh yeah. So society looks at the LGBT community as mentally ill. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that statement? Mentally ill. Well, I, I don't think it's society. I think that we're now living in a world where, you know, we're able to put every single person that has certain beliefs into like almost one bucket. I think mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years ago, people were very veiled with their hatred and people were very veiled with their like bigotry. And, you know, there could be someone that maybe had a little bit more of like a closed minded perspective on things, but they were still a good person. Nowadays, it's like, okay, either you're awake and alert and you're smart and you're mm -hmm. cognizant of the fact that like, this is science and like being a part of the LGBTQ plus community is like scientific transgenderism mm -hmm. is science, being queer is science, scientific, et cetera. Or, you know, you're just like a neo-Nazi conservative bigot who like, <laughs> you know, reads Fox News and is like anti-fact and is just, yeah. has this crazy conspiracy theory going on that like drag queens are, you know, touching children and gay people are trying to, you know, coerce people. Like 
crazy, crazy things. I think everyone by now has kind of, everyone that's smart and young and, you know, educated yeah. knows exactly what's going on. Um, but I think there is still a very large percentage of people that are just like completely ignorant and like stupid, but mm -hmm. it's easier to call out that behavior now. I wish I had the language um, and education now that I did, that I didn't then, because I remember at like 14 being in certain situations, 14, 15, 16, and certain people would say certain things to me. And I'm like, I wish I could look at them and be like, you bigoted fucking <laughs> asshole. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I could look at them and be like, you narcissistic, misogynistic pig, like, you're a fucking yeah. moron. You're living in, yeah. you know, 1830 and you're a barbarian. <laughs> and I feel bad for you that you're a Neanderthal. And I wish I had that understanding because at the time when I was younger, I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought I was doing something bad. Like I thought that there was something wrong with me and that what I was doing was, you know, um, a, a taboo. I thought like, oh, it's on me. And now that I'm older, I'm like, no, there was nothing wrong with me. There was mm -hmm. everybody around me were the people that were incorrect. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I would think my statement probably make more sense if I said like part of society because there are like people who still say like, oh, you're gay, it's like mentally ill. Like I know the boomer generation, like they are saying that. And I and I'm like, since I'm really like focused a lot in the mental health world, mm -hmm. I'm still seeing in these crazy comments like that. Like sometimes yeah. I'll get like hate comments on my stuff with my reels and everything like that. Like I put like one of my reels got like I think like 30 something thousand views and I've had some like people like say ignorant things like that to me so mm. it's it's as a society you know we are definitely getting better better since like you know like 10 years ago but there's yeah. still a big portion that are just still saying that so i just wanted to see like your feedback on someone who is a part of like the lgbtq community if someone were to say to you oh like you're mentally ill would you be like uh no like what the because it's ignorance it's it's not like you're not mentally yeah. ill I, I think that's like messed up to put you into that kind of category because that is like not at all what it is and yeah. it's mostly the people who are very religious who are thinking like oh because you're not you don't like women and god says i uh, men and women and yada 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 and if you're liking a man then there's something wrong with you in your brain like that's pretty much what they're saying yeah. So I think like I was just wanting to hear from like your like your particular perspective, but I think your perspective was like very like your response was like very mature, and you're right. Everything is a science, and yeah. So I really do like that feedback. I love asking these questions because I'll think I'll get a certain answer, but I get like completely different answer, and it's just like it's so valuable. So yeah, yeah. that was that was great. Um, so let's talk about your confidence and your sexuality. I feel like we kind of already touched on this. When you're talking about like, you know, in well, in Catholic school, you didn't feel comfortable coming out because, you know, all these people were like, you know, horrible. And then like in high school, people weren't really bullying you or anything like that. So I feel like, you know, right now you are very confident in your sexuality and you're on social media and you're being the badass person that you are today. Like when was your like breakthrough of like mm -hmm. going from like you like you're like you're like, you know, you're you're gay and you're yeah. open about it, but now you're like very out proud so on social media this and that like like when was like that breakthrough mm, I well like a couple of things and I think that even at a very young age I look back at my younger self and I'm always like very proud of myself because mm -hmm. I would say I was like very defiant and outward and just like rebellious 
from the beginning. Like I, re I remember when I was 14 and I just like, I just want people to know I'm gay. I'm posting it on Facebook. I'm posting the Jersey. And then it was like, okay, now I want to wear nail polish. I'm going to do it. I want to wear this skirt or whatever it is, or a crop top. I'm going to do it. Like, and I remember peers saying things. I remember my pan parents saying things. And I remember just being super rebellious and defiant and being like, I don't know why I feel so strongly about expressing myself this way, but I know that I have to do it. And I know that like me liking certain types of music or liking certain, you know, makeup or whatever it is, like this isn't wrong. I just don't have the language and the knowledge yet to communicate to you why this is not wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember being that, and I remember people really boggling me down and almost the fact that I was like getting to certain people almost like drove me a little bit further. Cause I was like, well, you wouldn't be so upset if I wasn't doing something that made you think differently. Like you wouldn't be so upset if I wasn't doing something that was expressing myself. If I was another cog in the machine, you would be completely fine with like who I am, what I'm doing, what I'm wearing. But the fact that I'm not, it's almost holding up a mirror to you because like I am being so free and I am being so expressive and I am being such a big version of myself. And it almost makes, you know, bullies and it makes people who hate themselves hate themselves even more because they're like, wait, why can't I do that? Like, why can't I express myself that way? Why is he so confident? That's what really makes, that's what makes people angry a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that like my teenagers, I was like angry, but I was defiant and I was like rebellious. Mm -hmm. But then like in my late teens and in my early twenties, I would say that like my confidence took like a really big dip and I didn't really know how to love myself. And I, I would say like, even though I was very outwardly gay and very like, uh, I, I never had a problem with showing people that I was gay or being, you know, ex overly queer or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, it was like, it wasn't that I hated myself because I was gay. It's, it was the years of hating myself for all those other things. And it was like, okay, well now I'm not skinny enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not cool enough. Like I don't have the right group of friends. I'm not making enough money, this, that, and the third. And all of those things kind of started evolving into very, very toxic and like disruptive behaviors in like my early my late teens and early 20s um and that's when things kind of started spiraling into like problems with sex addiction and problems with drinking too much and problems with like putting myself in situations that were like very dangerous and scary for me um and those things and that accumulation of all that is like things I had to very much like overcome um in my mid-20s and that's when I started having to do like all the self-healing and self-work to be like all right this has happened in my childhood, my teens and my 20s. Like, this is where I am now, my mid-20s. I want to be a mentally stable person in order to move my life forward. How do I do that? Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that, like, after we, you know, dip into your career and such. So, so you would say, like, I mean, I feel like my, like, downtime of my life was, like, high school. And I was, like, my confidence was, like, early 20s. Mm -hmm. So I feel like ours was, like, complete polar opposites, which I honestly, like... I do remember because we were still like close in our early 20s. And then we kind of drifted off when yeah. I moved to Florida. And which so between like the ages of like 22 and how old are we now? You're 20 and I'm 27. And we started being, yeah, because mm -hmm. we weren't like friends for like two years for stupid reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still laugh at that now. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so and I had no idea what was going on in your life for, like yeah. for those like two years. Like, mm -hmm. so was it like during that time? Kind of, but it also was like during times where people would see me, you know, all the time. Like I, the thing about my unhealthy habits and like 
I will use, I'll use the word addiction for like when it comes to sex like I would say like I struggled with sex addiction but then I would also say I struggled with like disordered eating those two yeah. things I remember the eating not, part yeah it's not when you're struggling with alcoholism or heroin addiction or you know cocaine addiction it's visible like you can see when someone's drunk you can see when someone's high on something you can see it but like eating and sex eating you know you have to do it to stay alive and then sex you do it behind closed doors so nobody's gonna see that anyway so it's like Mm-hmm. There were these two things that were happening simultaneously where they're part of your everyday life anyway. So nobody really knows when those two things get out of hand. It's mm-hmm. more of like a personal thing, you know, so that those two things are like harder to see. So I, I think a lot of people in my life didn't really know what was going on. I would say the eating thing got to a point that was really bad when I was like 23, 24. And mm-hmm. that's when people like interjected a little bit because I had become yeah thin that like people were like Matthew you look like you're sick like you look uh-huh. like you have like a disease or there's something wrong with you like you've uh-huh. gotten so thin that like this is not this is not good I do remember like between like in college and stuff you would be very big on like looking skinny and things like that and you have com- we'll have like conversation about that but I think at the time I wasn't really as educated with yeah. like eating disorders or I just didn't like want to assume it because I never want to assume just because someone is counting calories or thinking about being skinny doesn't necessarily mean they have an eating disorder. Right. But I remember you coming out about like the sex addiction thing, I think on Instagram and such. And I had like no idea. I mean, you would be very open with your sex life. I remember when we were like really close yeah. and I didn't know it like turned to a point where like it became a problem in your life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. are, are you doing better with that right now? Oh, yeah. Okay. So much better. So much better. And like, there, the, the problem with something like that is like within the gay community, like so many, and I'm talking about the gay community in like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Miami, like the gay community in major cities. And I'm talking about the cis um, male gay community within these like cities the life and the culture and um like really just the um lifestyle things like that get normalized so quickly and things Mm -hmm. like that get normalized at such a young age that there are so many people that are probably struggling with sex addiction that don't even know that they have a sex like problem they don't even realize that like they have spiraled out of control with their sex life and like the way that they're interacting with sex is like not in a healthy way in any way, shape or form. And I think that comes from a lot of different things, but I think it mostly comes from the fact that like so many gay people grow up hating themselves. They grow up getting bullied. They grow up, you know, just not having that confidence. So when they get to a major city and they become an adult and they get to do whatever they want, Mm -hmm. sex validates them. Sex makes them feel better. And sex is like, okay, someone finally finds me attractive. How do I fill this void over and over and over again? And that's when it kind of spirals out of control. Um, I would say for me, it was like, I would say it was like during the pandemic when I was in a relationship and I kind of realized I was like, I need to go to therapy, but I need to go to like specialized therapy for sex addiction for LGBTQ plus issues. And that's what my therapist specialized in. And I did it for almost like two years consistently. And it like, really really changed my life like it really really got me to the other side where I was like oh this is how sex is currently in my life like it is really taking up way too much of my time it is something that I do not have a healthy relationship with um and it's something that I want to get better at and now on the other side of it I'm like okay I think of everything so much differently 
Um, yeah, I forgot what the initial question was. Is it better? Yes, it's much better in my life. Yeah, now. yeah. I think I was more of asking that question as as more like a friend than a podcast interviewer. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And make sure you're you're doing good with that because that sounds like like breaks my heart to know that like you went through that but I'm glad that you're doing better and it's good that you went that you knew to not just go to therapy to go to a specialized one because like I have a lot of education on you know like mental health and disorders you know I did go to school for psychology and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't know how to help somebody with like Mm -hmm. a sex addiction so it's definitely going to go to a specialized one I'm, I'm still today trying to find like a good one it's so hard it's so hard. Like, it's so hard. Like, ugh, it's ridiculous. Um. Anyway, so now let's transition into your current life and mm-hmm. your career. So let's talk about um, after college, you worked at multiple PR firms. What made you decide that you wanted to leave and start your own company? Ooh. Oh, my God. Uh, I know it's a loaded question. Loaded <laughs> question, but I'll try to curate it specifically like for the vibe of this podcast because I feel like mental health played a very 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 large part in that decision for me too Mm -hmm. yeah um there were a couple of different reasons I would say the top bullets were a I was very tired of working in a very ineffective environment like Mm -hmm. way and I think it's changing very rapidly now and I think the future of PR is not going to look the way that it has but the way that PR was kind of set up during that time when I was, you know, working at agencies was I'm an account executive and under me, I have an assistant account executive and under her, there's a coordinator and under her, there's an intern. And then above me, there's a senior account executive and there's a scene, then there's a vice president and then there's a senior vice president and then there's a CEO. We're a team of eight working on one account. There's people I have to manage down to, people I have to manage up to. And it's like, one person can do this job properly if they can just like do it without all the fucking back and forth, without having yeah. to edge up and blah, blah, blah. And the bloat was constantly preventing me from doing good work. And when I was doing the best work is when I was by myself. And I would constantly be slapped on the wrist from higher ups being like, okay, you know, you're doing a great job, but like you need to involve more of your team. You need to train the intern. You need to tell your senior vice president or whatever the fuck, like what you're doing. And I'm just like, why? I'm like, these extra steps are delaying us from just getting to the final product. And mm-hmm. in the world of PR, the thing that we constantly need more of is time. And the things that we need to activate on are timely. We don't have a lot of time to waste. Mm-hmm. So I think the bloat was really bothering me and it was really boggling me down and that was annoying me. And through that realization, I started kind of auditing that like my ideas were the best ideas and that my work was the best work, whether someone was above me, below me, whatever it was, I was like, I hate to say it, but like, I know I'm still young, but I know what the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> and I'm driving results here. I think the other thing too is, well, that scenario was very much like, I would say that was like a healthy PR agency. The most annoying thing was like the bloat. And yeah. unhealthy PR agency was like the mental verbal abuse that was constant and just really embedded within the culture of like what PR is specifically I'm talking about fashion PR I look back at my time doing fashion PR because I was really really junior when I was like at those companies and it was so sick and twisted and like not only 
mentally abusive but like looking back it was fucking illegal like people were doing like illegal ass shit back then mm-hmm. um and I realized I didn't want to sell my soul to this I wanted I didn't yeah. want to dedicate my life to it I think when I stopped working in fashion PR when I took a step back I was like holy shit this isn't the whole world you know like you buy into this mentality where it's like you wake up at eight go to bed at 2 a.m your whole life is dedicated to this because fashion is your life and fashion week is fucking everything. And the Chanel, Bottega, whatever the fuck couture show is the most important thing in the world and nothing else matters. And the longer you start doing it, the more you start buying into that. And I remember being like, I'm being treated like shit. So many people around me are being treated like shit. This is a very elitist, disgusting, like, you know, homophobic, queerphobic, fat phobic environment where people that are making it to the top are not doing it because they've worked the hardest or whatever. It's just that they've been the most toxic. And now they're just Mm -hmm. like this horrible, really disgusting, vile person at the top that treats everybody like shit, but they've earned people's respect in some way. Mm -hmm. I just remember being like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that wakes up every day, hates myself, hates life and has this like cool job. But then Mm -hmm. I also didn't want to be the person that like uh, kept climbing the ranks in a way that was like ineffective. Mm -hmm. So it got to a point where a lot of the clients I was working with were kind of like, we love you. We don't necessarily love the agency you're working with. You know, if you ever go elsewhere, if you ever go alone, you know, let us know. And I won't say, because I keep talking about it and I'm like, I need to stop talking about this publicly. Um, I won't (laughs) say what the client was, but there was a very big client, which Mm -hmm. that was the end all be all. And that was the catalyst of starting my own agency. This client and the agency I was working for were basically like, we're not seeing eye to eye. We don't want to work together anymore. And at the time I was like, I'll take you on if that's what you want. And they were like, sure. So I took like my whole roster and all my clients. And that's how I kind of started my own thing. Yeah. Because I saw that because when you launched, I saw like the clients that you had. And I was like, oh, wait, but didn't he like have that person as a client when he was working for another company. So that's interesting how, I guess I was kind of like, really like your biggest, like, okay, this time for me to start my own company. Cause if, if they're telling me that they like me, it's just really just the agency that they're having issues with. It's like, Oh, okay. I'll just start my own thing. You know exactly. what I mean? And then, exactly. wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. But that's, that's also interesting. I mean, I'm not shocked that the fashion industry is toxic. I mean, everyone's been saying that for like years. What industries would you say is like the least toxic that you worked with? What industry is the least toxic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think having touched now fashion, entertainment, music, mm-hmm. social media, uh, tech, having touched all of them, I would you say- You have a social media client? Social, like- yeah, like people that do social media, like for work. Oh, like, like influencers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought you were talking about like agencies or something like that. I was like, are you PR for a social media agency? No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought I was wondering. I was like, wait, what? Okay, sorry, go on. No. <laughs> um, I would say like, unfortunately, like I feel like a lot, like kind of every industry is toxic in their own right. I would say, but I would, I would say it's like a different type of toxic, like where you go. I would say tech is a very interesting, wacky, tacky, kooky world. And when I say tech, I mean like Silicon Valley, like Google, YouTube, Facebook, Meta, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that world, I would say technically is like the least toxic. I, the same amount of experience I have in fashion is like, I have that equal amount of experience in tech. And I always loved working in tech because I was like, people have their heads screwed on straight. They loved doing what they did. I was just going to say that. 
they had, you know, unlimited vacation and all these different things. And um, they were happy at work. They had ex massive budgets. We were able to do like really cool things. Um, whenever I was working with a tech client, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I love entering fashion, music and entertainment via tech because you have this barrier of like, okay, I'm not in fashion, but you know, my client right now that is a tech company is sponsoring the Met Gala. So now I get to work on the Met Gala uh -huh. via this client instead of working on it in the fashion space. You know what I mean? So I yeah. like that barrier and that protector. However, yeah. you know, we just saw the, one of the biggest, like, I don't know if this is like factually accurate, but like one of the biggest tech recessions that I, I think we've ever seen, like mm. the client I used to have, the tech client just laid off 21,000 yeah. employees, which affected my work and affected, mm. you know, my work with that uh, company. Yeah, I had a tech, I actually had like a tech client that just dropped me recently. Yeah. And it's because all of their internal clients that I reported to, they just fired all of them. So I don't have anybody to report to anymore. Um, so I would say tech, but also at the same time, it's like what just happened was really shitty. Like, I don't think, you know, I think a company that lays off 21,000 people is a company that had way too many people working there in the first place and just mm -hmm. had ineffective branches that were not moving the needle. But also mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't put a lot of that blame on the employees. I put a lot of the blame on the corporations that just get too big. They don't know how to control the people that work there. Yeah. They give everybody these titles and these salaries and these unlimited PTOs. And it's like, these jobs are fake. You know what I mean? <laughs> these jobs that are at these companies, it's like, what the fuck do you do all day? And a lot of these people do absolutely nothing. And then when time Interesting. Comes, the economy starts to crash, they're like, wait, you, you got to get the fuck out of here. You don't do anything. And they're like, yeah, but I haven't been doing anything for five years. And I've worked here the whole time. And they're like, yeah, but we don't have any money anymore. So you got to go. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Okay. Can we talk about your day-to-day -day life for you know working in pr um a lot of people may not know exactly really what you do yeah um, so we can kind of just go like a day in the life <laughs> sure i mean when i say like every day is different I truly yeah i know <laughs> yeah so I, I get that <laughs> and also too like my company now just like with the way that the world is moving the way that the media landscape is changing I'm changing with it. So like, I wouldn't even really call myself a public relations agency anymore. I would call my agency more of like a creative slash media agency. Mm -hmm. And the way that I kind of have been promoting the company right now is if you have a need within the media landscape, bring it to me and I'm sure we'll be able to find a solution. So simplified, what I'm doing right now is public relations strategy and execution, influencer marketing and public figure marketing. Um, and within those two things, it's like strategy for working with influencers uh, and working with public figures within like a corporation and like the different needs that you'll have there. Um, event solutions slash like event planning and event production um, and like top level like media consulting and like PR consulting. So I would say like those are like the four big buckets right now. Uh, day to day, again, it's always different depending on like who I'm working with, who I'm not working with. There are a lot of clients that I work with like project spaces. So like, we'll do like a three week project and I'm like, all right, guys, see you the next time. And then there are some clients that I work with on a year long project. Um, it, do they have like a monthly retainer on you? They do. Yeah. That's what we okay. try to I was do. wondering how that works. Yeah. If you have like a three, let's say you have like a three week project, then it's yeah. like, let's say they don't need you for like three to four months. Like how mm -hmm. do they like still pay you for those months? 
Well, no. So like if it's like a project retainer and it's like, let's say it's an event and the event is in August and they start retaining oh. me in June, it's like, all right, for the next two months, we'll plan the event. And then uh-huh. you know, as we get closer to the date, we'll start talking about like execution. And then uh-huh. the day of the event, like I'll bring in a team to make sure that the event is flowing properly, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Something like that would be like, you know, a two month project. And it's like, here's the rate for two months. And I give it to uh, them. Uh, um, okay. There are, but there are certain clients that like need a monthly retainer. And it's like, we're going to yeah. make qualifications yeah. every month. I was just curious how that worked. Like, because I feel like, well, I'm not going to say we're like the same because we're not in reality, but I was like wondering like how you operated your business. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess it's like, it's very more like project basis. Well, mine is too in reality, but also mine is like, I think need me to be managing their socials like throughout the month. Like I can't like, they can't have me for like two months and then like not have me for two months and their socials are like, nothing's going on on there. Like I was can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) No, oh, yeah. yeah, I was just curious about that. Um, okay, yeah, it's, it sounds like your job's pretty exciting, though. Like, it's not like literally, I mean, my every day is well, yours is definitely more different, obviously. But, um, let's talk about PR crisis. So, how did you handle your first one, like, ever? So, what's crazy is I don't retain clients that are like problematic that have a lot of crises. I think so. My specific scope of work for a lot of my clients is the fun stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. if they're playing, you know, Metcala sponsorship, if they have a red carpet event, if they want to work with creators on like a really cool dinner, that's what I'm planning. There's a completely separate division within major companies that handle crisis comms. And then there's also agencies that specialize in crisis comms. As of right now, I do not specialize in crisis comms. Um, I have not had a client that has gone through any major scandal, fingers crossed, thank God. Like I've never had a client get canceled on Twitter. I've never had a client like, you know, have a sex tape leaked. I've never, (laughs) even when I was working for really big, you know, billion dollar corporations and they would have a scandal and often those companies would have scandals quite frequently. It's just not something I would touch. So I was, my scope of work is I'm consumer comms. Like I'm over here doing all your fun stuff. There are like 13 other teams that are dealing with that. Um, and then there are even teams that are like like legal, legitimate teams that work in tandem with the crisis PR teams being like, all right, legally, this is what we're going to do. PR wise, this is what you're going to say. This, that, oh. the third. Um, yeah. So I can't I I can't say I've really managed a lot of like crazy scandals. That's just not my. Uh, okay. yeah. People have asked me to. People uh-huh. have definitely asked me to. And Sometimes people get tripped up on the name because they think cancel means like cancel. I'm canceled. Like I I'm know going you're that. last name. Oh my yeah. god, it's like it's kind of insane how like I mean obviously you're born with that last name, but it's like yeah. your last name is cancel, and then when they think of cancel communications, they're like cancel culture. No, literally. No, I, I've had <laughs> people come to me and be like, "Hey, like I'm in a crisis. Like, can I hire you?" And I'm like, "Oh no, we're not that type of agency, actually." Yeah. 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 You know, you know, I kind of like messed up my name. Like, I mean, I put J-E-R social as like just you know Elizabeth Rhodes, right? Yeah. But a lot of you were like, oh, Jer social, Jersey social. Oh, lol. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized I'm like, okay, I probably should have put some dots in between. Yeah. Because I think yeah. in my head I was just thinking like, oh, J-E-R social, but now I'm like, people are like, oh, Jer, they, they literally say Jer. I'm like, Jer social sounds idiotic. <laughs> I like J-E-R social, yeah. Yeah, Jersey social just sounds like stupid. And some people are like, oh, they thought I did it because of Jersey. I'm like, why would I attach my Jersey roots <laughs> to, oh, wow. to that? 
but yeah. yeah so now every time i'm like okay i gotta like make sure i put these dots because everyone's thinking i'm juror social i'm like this yeah it's not good i don't like that um okay yeah the reason i asked it because um i was i don't know if you know the show it's called working mom i think it's called it's on Mm-mm. yeah well since girl she owns her own pr agency so she like left her agency and like started her own thing kind of like what you did and there's like mm. some episodes where she like deal with like pr crises and things like that so yeah i was like i feel like i would be so like basically she would be with the person if they were like getting like interviewed or things like that and if someone like were to ask them like a question that would be like controversial or like kind of like attacking and they didn't know how to answer she would like have to like figure something out yeah. Um, so I was like, when I was watching this, I thought of you, I was like, did he deal with this kind of stuff? Cause I feel like I'll be freaking stressed out. <laughs> I mean, like in small ways, I think the, the, the TV movie of it all makes it very, very dramatic. Like mm-hmm. I remember there was this one Amazon show that I tried to watch and it was about publicists and the way that it made it seem, I was like, there's just no way that this is like how it happens in real life. Like it's so dramatic. It's, it's like, it can be anything to like silly things. Like you do an interview and you know, the editor asks a certain amount of questions and then the article comes out and we don't like the framing. And the client will be like, hey, I really hate the way that this paragraph reads. That's not what I meant by that. Like they twisted my words, like blah, blah, blah. Do you mind just like going back and telling them that like they can't say it that way? And then it's as simple as like going back to the magazine and being like, hey, we love the piece. Like, this is really great. This needs to be taken out. That's out of context. That's not factually accurate. Like boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times the editor will go back with you especially if like it's salacious or interesting or it's clickbaity and they want to keep it in there they're like well you know that's what they said and that's how we quoted them like whatever and I'm like no 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 no, it's not factually accurate like you need to take it down and I would say like that's dealing with it but even something like that like it takes a couple of hours and it kind of goes away um you know yeah I would say that like people not being framed in the way that they thought they were going to be that would be like a scandal that's something that they would be upset about Mm -hmm. um but I've never had a client that like to date I've never had a really salacious client that like we needed to do all this cleanup for and we needed to rebrand uh, them to make uh, people yeah. differently of them. Like I've A, that sounds like a lot of work. B, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of public figures that have had like major scandals that I feel passionately like, no, they didn't do it. And I would want to, you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of people that I'm like, yeah, I would never work with that person anyway. So uh, I yeah. recently got called. I won't say who the public figure is. But, and I hate this person. I hate, they're like a influencer, but they're also, they're like a celebrity influencer. And I've always hated this person. Okay. I thought they were sleazy and slimy. I thought the scandal that they had, I was like, yep, this makes perfect sense for what this person does. And a friend of this person called and was like, would you do his PR for X amount of money to like clean up his image and like, and whatever. And I was like, absolutely the fuck not. I was like, not even, no. I was like, there's not enough money to make me ever want to work with that person. I was like, exactly what's happening to them is exactly what they deserve. They're not good people. Yeah. I don't think that person reserve, deserves a redemption arc. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I feel like yeah. I feel like we need to have like a whole conversation that's like off the podcast because all this stuff, it's mm-hmm. like, obviously you can't mention just for privacy and, you know, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. I'm like, I'm very curious just as, as your friend. Um, okay, so let's transition into, is there, obviously you're not going to be nicknaming names and whatever, but is there any particular client you could think of your head that like really like, negatively impacted like your mental health? Like ever had like a mental breakdown or this or that? Um, I would say luckily, I mean, yes, I can't really share 
<laughs> you know, uh, been- yeah, I, I know you can't like mention names. I know because like th- things like that, they could always be like, "Oh, I'm gonna sue you." And yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that like since use starting- a fake name or something. <laughs> Yeah, no, but since starting my own agency, luckily I get to stop that in its tracks before it gets out of hand. Like yeah. when I was at someone else's agency and I was being first forced to work with like a client that I couldn't stand or that was really detrimental to like me and my mental health or whatever it was, it was like too bad. You have to suck it up. Like the agency wants to retain this person and it's really not up to me. You know, I can ask to be removed from the account, but like that may make me look difficult or that may, might make me look like not a team player, whatever it is. Um, but now that I have my own thing, like there have been certain situations that get out of hand very quickly. And in those moments, I'm like, hey, I don't think this is working. I think that you and I do not see eye to eye. I think that like you would be better suited for somebody else. And that's totally fine. Um, luckily, within our contract, either of us can terminate at any point in time. This is my termination. Thank you so much. And uh, you will I will not be providing my services to you anymore. And there's been a couple of times where I've done that, where, you know, I've got myself into a situation where I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I get into it and I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, And then there are other situations that I may really believe in the project and I might really believe in the client. And I know it's not, I know like in the back of my mind, it's not going to work out. You know, this client is going to continue to be very difficult. The larger team associated with this client is going to become very difficult but I hold on to it for as long as I can. And in those situations, A, they've always blown up. B, I look back and I'm like, I should have ended that a lot earlier than I did, but I didn't because I believed in it. And there are certain, those clients are the ones that I look back and I'm like, damn, I really liked you before all of this. I really liked you before getting to know you. And I really thought, you were one way and getting into the weeds of this was a little bit disappointing. I posted something on my Instagram the other day. Um, Haley Williams was in town. Uh, mm-hmm. Paramore was in town mm-hmm. the other day for their tour. And my uh, one of my clients who's a photographer, like he does all types of photography, concert photography, fashion photography, um, you know, party photography, et cetera. And one thing he wants to be doing more of is like concert photography. So I kind of always hit up a bunch of like cool bands when they're in town to be like, hey, do you want to shoot? Do you want to do like some project together and see what we can do? And we got very close to making something work with like Haley and Paramore. Timing didn't work out, whatever. You know, it was like a thank you so much, but like a next time kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in the moment, I was so bummed out. I was so like, fuck, like, oh my God. But then when I was at the concert, I was realizing I was like, Haley Williams really is the last hero, like real hero idol of mine that I have not met. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? It's, I kind of like that this is going to be delayed and that, you know, one day I'll meet her probably, right? Yeah. One day I'll meet her on something, hopefully, probably, maybe, who knows? But I almost like that I didn't meet her this time around because I was like, I'm sure she's lovely and I'm sure she's amazing. I'm sure she's incredible. But I was like, if she is not a nice person, I cannot handle that mentally right now. Uh, really according to Regan, she's awesome. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There. You, oh, okay. But no, she really is like my last like idol hero that yeah. I have. And I'm like, you know what? Wait, so you met Blackpink? You met all of them? I've never met Blackpink. You know, well, Blackpink is different. Blackpink, they're not. I love them. Like they're adorable. You know what I mean? Like I'm a big fan. But mm-hmm. Haley, I grew up with. Like I would say yeah. in terms of like, not to be drama, but like music that saved my life that was Paramore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I remember you were mentioning that, the one where we were young festival. 
yeah like when I was like a teenager and I was in like the darkest darkest times of my life like I would like put on a Paramore record and I'd be like holy mm-hmm. shit we we'll both do I think we'll both play yeah. together mm-hmm. exactly whereas like Blackpink is so much fun you know what I mean like they're more okay, yeah I get, I get you what you're saying so it's like oh we signed to meet them but Haley's like it's kind of like with me and Nessa Barrett like I just like I feel like I need to meet her like yeah. sometime in my life very like high key jealous of you mm-hmm. <laughs> she was such a cutie she was so yeah sweet. yeah no I mean honestly she's like my bucket list like guests on this podcast like literally if she oh, were if she were to agree to be on my podcast i would freaking fly to los angeles and and i don't care how freaking much it is i'm driving flying to los hey, angeles hey. and doing it in person getting some studio because like uh, i i literally anyway that, that, that that's a whole other thing <laughs> no, i love it <laughs> Yeah, no, she's okay. I see, I'm starting to see that she's doing a lot of podcasts lately. Like, she's being on people's podcasts, and I'm like, I know, like, she has no idea who I am or her yeah. team knows who I am or anything like that. But I'm like, who knows? Like, mentally, about it is growing slowly, yeah. but it's growing. Like, I'm like, like, I know, like, on my Instagram, like, 800 followers, really not a lot of followers, but I'm like, I yeah. grew that without like telling all my family and friends to follow me. Like, I literally. I mean, I will, of course, promote it on, like, my story here and there, but, like, this is all straight content strategy. And I want to talk about boundaries. Do you, okay. like, what boundaries do you set up with your clients? What boundaries do I set up with my clients? And I got um, boundaries. i tell you that. <laughs> I think um, boundaries that I set up with my clients. I think that, you know, with my line of work, I very much have to be agile and flexible, and I think what makes me uh you know more attractive than some of these like giant um PR teams is the fact that I can be a little bit more flexible than most and I have like the power to do that and say that Mm -hmm. the only time I become frustrated or the only time I become like okay we need to like heart halt like hard stop reassess what's going on here is when things become ineffective I can deal with messy. I can deal with scatter timelines. I can deal with, you know, people being need to be led to water in order for them to like actually come up with like a concrete plan and strategy. What I can't deal with is like doing things just to do things and then making like very large rash decisions and they're not effective, right? Like I think when a client is like, well, what's going on here and what's going on there? And this person needs to sign the contract and go to, and they just start spiraling out of control. I'm like, okay, this isn't effective anymore. Like this whole spiral and this back and forth and left and right, like this mess and this disorganized timeline and this whole thing, like I am trying to organize you as much as possible. Like I'm trying to really lead us to success here in order for you to really like see the fruits of your labor. You're going to have to really push a little bit of control and trust me. They're going to have to me a little bit and actually like let me do my job because I know it's scary and I know there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and I know that there's 7,000 people behind the scenes like working on whatever project it is. Everybody has to take a deep breath. Let me do what I have to do. I promise it's going to be fine. So I think that's the only time where I really like put my line in the sand where I'm like, okay, guys, this isn't effective anymore. We've spiraled about this 7,000 different times. Let's go back to basics and let's really like bring this project to the finish line. Yeah, no, that actually makes sense. And you actually did talk about that on your story. Um, but no, I, like, I'm literally the same way too. You're definitely more vocal about it than I am. Um, but that just shows how confident you are. And, you know, I was in people, 
listen to confidence they will go with you but no that makes sense like there's i, I noticed that the clients that work with me that have the most success are the ones that listen to me mm, yeah no exactly right right yeah same yeah. thing same thing um okay so how would you say that you would like cope with your stress because i know that sometimes you do have like your moments when you're like super stressed out you like talk about it on your close on your close friend's story so how do you like cope with that like what do you do um, I definitely have way healthier coping mechanisms now that I'm in my late 20s, now that I'm like post-therapy. Um, mm -hmm. I would say yesterday was a perfect example of that. Like the day before yesterday, I like stayed out way too late. And like, as I'm getting older, I really hate drinking. Like I don't want to be that girl. Oh my gosh, I'm the same one. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to be that girl at the party that's like, mm, I just want like, you know, sparkling water. Like I, I am starting to feel weird being the person at the party that's not drinking but when I yeah. do drink I'm just like I feel like such shit the next day mm -hmm. it's not worth it my stomach hurts my head hurts I'm in bed and yesterday I was having a bad day because I was really hungover mm -hmm. I, I was at work event the night before and then we ended up going to the thing and blah 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 blah. you know how that goes mm -hmm. and I was just stressed out a lot of things were coming at me people needed answers people were demanding things like very quickly and I just took a step back Closed my lap. I, I didn't close my laptop. I put on Call Her Daddy. I put on my favorite podcast. And I went in my fridge and I just went grocery shopping and I cooked for an hour. And I just like sat there and I, I made a steak and bacon sandwich and I seared the steak and I made it. I made the marinade and I chopped up all the ingredients. And I, you know, I cook with all like whole foods and healthy foods and I toasted the bread properly. And I just made like a really delicious, delicate, well-crafted sandwich for oh, an hour. Love and that. I got to work on a project. It was for me. At the end of it, there was like a reward. I got to like feed myself and nourish myself. And in that moment, I was like, when I was younger, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even known that that was a healthy coping mechanism to stress. And that sometimes you need to take a step back and like assess the situation. Like maybe I would have turned to drinking even more. Maybe I would have partied. Maybe I would have turned to sex, you know, mm -hmm. now I'm like, all right, it's okay to go take a walk. It's okay to go to the gym. It's okay to sit for an hour and literally just cook, like just do something that is for me that doesn't have anything like you know, this larger thing attached to it, I think, and you know this too, when you- You're being human. Yeah, you have to be a human, but also it's like, there's no, there's not a lot of time off when you own your own company. Like people will text you at nine o'clock at night on a Saturday, on a Sunday, um, first thing in the morning. And I think because so much of our job is just kind of like replying to emails, replying to text messages and giving people our energy 24 seven, at a certain point, it's like, all right, I need to be shut off from the rest of the world. Like I can't, be accessible to everyone at all times because that's not healthy either. I've done that to myself and I've burnt myself out where I'm like, yeah. everyone gets an answer and everybody gets a reply and I have to reply to everybody in a timely fashion. I'm like, okay, but then when am I taking a step back and doing something for myself? Because when you are not the healthiest version of yourself, you really can't help people anyway. Yeah, You know, that's the way I think about it. I'm like, if I don't take a step back and be like, okay, let me like take an hour to deal with the stress in a healthy way so mm -hmm. that I can back to you with like a proper response it may take me a little bit longer but replying right then there in that moment may not have been you know the best way to go about things anyway yeah and also like if you let's say you're like really stressed out and someone needs something and you just you're kind of like irritable you don't want to reply back in a way where it can piss somebody else off so you mm -hmm. kind of like you just kind of like know when it's time where it's like okay like I know myself and I'm gonna step away or it's just gonna turn into a shit show Exactly. Yeah, that's actually a really smart idea. I should probably do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
because no that's like cooking is actually very relaxing if it's like you know doing it for the purpose of like really just enjoy you know enjoying yourself and making something like like, like when i do like hello fresh i just actually really like doing that and me and like regan would like to do that as well um but <laughs> you know i really wish i had like a kava sponsor because i was gonna be like oh if you hate out you don't want to do alcohol kava is great <laughs> what is what's kava yeah no one knows about it it's, it's it? the best thing ever um so it's actually it actually been around for like ancient time and it's actually originated from like the root like in Hawaii and everything. So it's like it's plant medicine, but it, like it doesn't get you high. Okay. So, so like this one is I'm um, drinking, and the reason I know about it is because Regan works at this place called Botanical Brewing and he brews it. Um so okay. I get I get I so I'm drinking it right now, and as you can I don't know if you notice like my mood has kind of like changed throughout this whole conversation. I'm kind of like a little bit more I don't know, uppity, but I'm not going to get a hangover tomorrow, which is great. Interesting. So it's called K-A-V-A? Yeah, it's K-A-V-A. There's play, There's a place in New York that I went to with, like, Kelly and Regan, but to be honest, I won't recommend it. It kind of sucked. Oh, um, really? Yeah, no, it was horrible. I was like, could I want to, like, introduce it to Kelly? Could I, like, I'm, like, introducing this. Like, I have, I literally have no incentive of introducing this to anybody. Like, I'm not, like, working on a commission thing or anything like that. It's just, like, I love it so much and I hope I like the whole culture of it. So like mm. he works at this brewery and they have a tap room and the tap room is like, the vibe is so nice. Like they have like two pool tables. They have like a place to relax. I'll go there and do some work. Like as okay. long as you buy a drink, they let you work there. Just like, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So I have like Kava and then like, I have like a membership there, like a loyalty thing. And then like, I look chill on the couches and then they have really cool music and I just have the Wi-Fi, and I'm like out there doing my work and everything like that. And they're open from 7am to 2am. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. And then so, um, so yeah, so each one, each different like Kava thing had like a different thing. So this was like one that I'm drinking right now is mood and joy. So it okay. like makes me like it basically boosts my mood and makes me like happier pretty much. Um and then so there's yeah, and there's one that was like calm and social. So it like it's categorized as you. a drug. It's like categorized. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean it, it is a drug. So like interesting. And obviously just be obviously anyone should just be cautious with it. Like don't be drinking it like like a freaking smoothie or anything like that. Um but yeah, no, it's it's like getting more pop it's like popular in Florida here. But I get because okay. like we're like in the more in the tropical area and stuff like that. And it's kind of like the vibe over here. So, okay. um, but yes, I have one. Like I said, I have one in New York. I don't recommend you going to that one as like your first experience. They have because... a couple in New York. They have like a handful. Yeah. I mean, the one that I went to was so bad. I I, so I, don't, I just don't want you to have a bad experience. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll text you think, after this. But there's I a couple it... of other ones. There's one in in my neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen. Kava. This is so interesting. I... Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, a lot of people like, don't know about it. And so it's like, yeah, no, it's cool. So it's like people who mm. also a lot of people who are used to be alcoholics are now resorting mm. to this. Interesting. So like a lot of people who work with my with work with Regan are like ex like coke addicts and alcoholics. And it's like it's like their branding is better than booze. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's really good for like if you know people who are like a recovering alcoholic and things like that because this is not addictive. Right. So it's not because they're addictive. You don't get hangovers. Also in the top room, like you know how you go to bars, so have like people we like beating each other up because they'll get angry or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, none yeah. of that there because it doesn't make you angry. You know what right. I mean? Like it doesn't yeah, so like the first time when I first had it, I did feel a little weird in the beginning, but that was only because my brain's like, what the heck is this? You know what I mean? Right. Right, but right, after right. the first time, you're fine. And it's just all good stuff. 
but yeah no i've been like really into it and then like when i go there i always see the same people all the time oh like regulars and everyone knows each other there and it's like when you have like your first like kava you always get like your first like they call it a shell so it's like first of all like when they introduce you to kava they recommend to start like with a straight kava just so you can have like the experience and then you can do like the mixed drinks and like all of that but yeah when you have your first one and your first one's like free at the place that he works at and they like do like a whole like oh like welcome thing and it's it's really cool let's kind of like recap so we talked a little we talked a lot about the your experience you know coming out as gay and you gave us a lot of like you know wisdom and knowledge for people who are listening to this um they would have that you know that hope that you can go from you know how you said you were angry in high school and how you didn't like feel that you were ready to open up because of like the experience of bullying and being in a Catholic school to not being like this badass entrepreneur, like openly gay and killing it in life and everybody freaking loves you. So, um, and then we talked about, you know, life in the PR world and how you handle stress. So typically at the end of the podcast, I always like ask if you have like a last like piece of wisdom that you would like to give my audience. So let's say we're talking to a person that it's, People who can listen to this could be like young people, you know, yeah. like 17, 18. My audience is generally around like 18 to 30. Mm. But let's say like someone's not confident in coming out. What would you say to them? If someone's not confident in coming out, what would I say to them? Um, I think like first thing is assessing or not whether your situation is safe. I think that we have extremism running rampant through our nation right now. I think, um, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier is that like things were getting better when we were younger, but I don't think that that's really the case anymore. I think when we were younger, you know, we saw a couple of states with legalized gay marriage and then most states were legalizing gay marriage and it was nationwide. And, you know, we saw that natural progression happen throughout the years. And then it was like, okay, now it's more acts protecting gay people. Now it's more acts protecting trans people. And now, you know, living in a post-Donald Trump world, the extremism, especially with politics, has become so violent, so anti-fact, so, um, like, again, just hateful and, like, uh, dangerous that people really do genuinely believe that, like, they can outwardly hate black people or gay people or trans people and that that's okay because Tucker Carlson said it on TV and Donald Trump said it and you know Marjorie Taylor Greene said something and then Ron DeSantos and then this law was passed like because there there is now a community of like millions of people that are all living within their hatred Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain situations that are very dangerous and I think a couple of years ago you know maybe you were in a household that didn't necessarily accept you, but you were, you know, still safe and you were okay. And you were able to live there for a little bit longer and continue on. I think now people's situations may become very dangerous very quickly. Mm-hmm. All that is to say, first thing is like assess your situation. Know if you're living in an environment that is safe for you to come out and um, be your most authentic self, do that audit mm-hmm. first. And if you are living in that type of situation and you do have people around you that love you and are going to be there for you and are going to be supportive of you, um, friends, coworkers, family members, um, you know, the, the more honest with you are with yourself and the more honest you are with like other people, um, the happier you're going to be, the more free you're going to be, the more liberated you're going to be. I think we're also living in a world right now on the other side of that coin, like spaces that are not conservative and hateful and all those different things. Like, 
Gen Z progressive young spaces, like they don't even care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think going to high school in like a suburb that we went to now is probably so much different than what it was back then. It's like mm-hmm. everyone's pan, everyone's queer, everyone's bi, everyone's something or other. Like no one is sticking to the status quo and nobody is putting themselves into these like really strict boxes anymore. So just know that like, you know, as crazy as you think you are or as weird as you think you are or as different as you think you are, you're probably going to find your community very quickly once you become honest with yourself and you're like, wait a minute, there's more people around me that are different and that are open and queer than I thought there were. It was just me hiding myself that was making me, you know, feel isolated. Um, And I think the last thing, it sounds so cheesy, but it is so real. And I I honestly don't think I understand what this meant until like this year, like as I'm entering my late twenties, like believing in yourself is 99.9% of the battle. Like when I started my PR agency at 26, like that wasn't really my dream, to be honest with you. Like that really wasn't my end all be all. It wasn't like something that I had been envisioning since I was five years old. Like it was more so just right time, right place. Like it was like a financially uh, smart opportunity. And it launched my entrepreneurial mind and it launched my mind into like, I really like being an entrepreneur. I really like owning my own business. I really like actioning on my own ideas and, you know, managing a project and managing a team, et cetera. Um, but I wouldn't say I really believed in myself that much at the time. I think I still had a lot of self-doubt. I think I still was like having this imposter syndrome thing where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, am I even good enough to be doing this? Mm -hmm. And I think this year is when I finally had a moment where I was just like, if I don't fucking believe in myself, like I'm never going to be able to keep moving forward and actually activate on things I'm passionate about. And there's been like a handful of things that a couple of years ago, I was like, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Like, I can't do that. Like whatever, where I'm like, who says I'm not good enough? Like, who says I can't do that? Who says that I can't become this thing, you know, three years from now, two years from now, six months from now? Like, why not? Like, why not me? And there are certain situations that I've now been putting myself in. And there's certain opportunities that I've been putting myself up for where I'm just like, who cares? If it goes through, it does. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But like, I believe in myself now and I know my self-worth and I know that my self-worth is not attached to any job or any friend group or any whatever. It's like, I am separate from all of that. Um, and I'm now very much like working on the relationship with myself mm-hmm. and making sure that that is solid because that's the relationship that you're going to have to have until the day you die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the most important one. Yeah, that was a lot of wisdom, packed wisdom. Love that for you, Matthew. You have come such a long way. But I've seen you like from the very beginning. Well, the very beginning. Well, didn't we like pre K together from? <laughs> hey, oh my God, we didn't we? We did, right? We didn't did we, we find didn't, that out later? Yeah, I think you like found like a classroom picture or something like that. And you were like, wait, that's you. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, we we're really. <laughs> no, it's crazy how long we've actually known each It's crazy how long we've like actually known each other and the different times uh-huh. of our life that we've, you know, come in we, and out. I feel like we've been through like so much shit together. Like we've seen each other. Like when we were like rebellious teenagers, like crazy yeah. doing all of like, we we're just like going through it. And then now we're like these, like we're like, I'm not going to say fully here. Cause no one's ever fully here. Cause everything's always back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. But like now we're like these badass entrepreneurs with all this wisdom and doing great things. So it's just like, 
you are probably i mean i've had friends on my podcast but i mean like you're the person i've like known like the longest yeah yeah so it's crazy, it's crazy. um Okay, so I'm going to end this podcast here. Thanks again, Matthew, for being on here. I really appreciate you. Oh, my God, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Of course, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode.